Welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'm your host, Gary Durbin. I've been a worship leader for over 20 years, and I've learned a lot from so many on this journey. On this podcast, we'll have conversations and explore the dynamics of leading worship in the local church. Spiritual abuse is becoming more and more of a hot topic these days. With the rise and fall of mega churches and mega pastors, we are seeing the ugly consequences of pride as it has seeped into the hearts of influential leaders out there. Part of the consequences is the hurt and abuse that worship leaders, staff, and congregants have gone through. It's a tough spot to be in when you work for an authoritarian who isn't operating under any kind of accountability. So what do we do with that? In this episode, I talked to a friend of mine, Brandon Dempsey, about this important topic. Brandon is the founder and CEO of Worship Team Training and Worship Team Training University. With over 25 years of leading worship, he works with churches ranging from 500 to 5,000 members. Along with writing music, he's also an author with two books in the works, Confessions of a Worship Leader and his soon-to-be-released autobiography, Facing the Shadows. These books will speak to the topic of abuse, whether it's spiritual, emotional, or physical. So I hope you're truly blessed and encouraged by my conversation with Brandon Dempsey. Well, hey, Brandon, welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. Great to have you. You're in Texas, right? Yes, sir. It's great to be here. So thanks for having me. Doing great. Well, you and I met a few years ago via a podcast, your podcast, yeah, and we're going to talk about worship team training university a little bit in this in this episode. But why don't you why don't we start off by hearing your story, how you got into worship leading, and where you are now? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Well, this journey began way back, way back in the 1990s. Does mm. anybody remember that? <laughs> and I started young leading worship, so I'm you know. Right now, I'm I'm 49, uh, but I've had a long run of leading worship. And starting when I was young, I definitely act like I'm young. I don't act like I'm my age at all. And starting worship back in high school uh, led out of a good friend of mine that introduced me to a, a organization called Student Venture and Young Life, which I had no clue about. I was just getting my spiritual act together as God was calling me into a deeper level of walk with him. I received Jesus as my savior when I was nine and was baptized, but just like anybody else, well, you know, maybe some people, I thought that I could have my Christian cake and eat it too and realized through high school it didn't work that way and that God wanted something more from me, which is 100% me and not 50% of me. And I guess the thing that really bothered me was I did not want to be alone when Jesus returned and for him to say to me, Brandon, what did you do in my name? And for me to be alone and just to tell him, well, I just believed in you. I realized that my life was meant for something more. And just like the parable that Jesus gave at the talents, I really needed to invest in my talents and not bury them. In that walk, I realized very clearly that look, God gave me a love for music. He gave me at that time as I was diving into his word, a huge love for the Gospels and the Old Testament and how they fit together was just blowing my mind. And then I thought, wow, putting music together with that, that that's like, that's mind blowing. How lit 
is that? And what can I do to be a part of that? And I felt it right there where God just made it very clear to me in that intersection. He said, Brandon, I am the way, mm -hmm. and I want you to walk in it and be holy and blameless. And, and so what does that mean to be holy and blameless? And what does it mean to really walk with God? So diving into those theological aspects first was my foundation because then I felt like I had more gravity. I understood that I had a biblical purpose and it wasn't just about doing the music, but it was something more than that because it was life. I remember my worship leader at that time, he said to me one night, Brandon, I've been praying for you and I feel like, you know, he gathered a lot of other brothers and sisters with him. And, they, and he just said, I feel like that God is calling you into music ministry and just asked me, blank, uh, just point blank, you know, do you feel the same? Do, do you feel like a tug at your heart? And I said, yes, I do. And, um, and this is no formula for any worship leader who wants to go into music ministry. This is just the way that it happened to me. And so I prayed along with my worship leader, and it was just so sweet, such an innocent prayer, and just trusting God and giving God my life to make it His ministry, whether that's music or not. It really doesn't matter. What matters is, what do you do with what God gave you? And how do you use those tools rightly in a way that glorifies Him? So for me, it's music. And so I went down that path and God led me to some great relationships of people that I knew uh, within the church. As I'm meeting different people and I'm, I'm going through my undergrad, I get my undergrad in music ministry. Well, actually in music composition um, and performance. And then moving on from that dual major, I went into my MDiv and master's of music and leadership and studying in California. When I, when I studied there in California, I met with just a bunch of great men and women that really brought me under their wing uh, to learn more about what leading worship means. And what it meant to me was this, this is what I've understood within my life. And I, and, and I do to this day that leading worship is really leading people. It's really leading relationships. Hmm. It's really not even music at all. The fact that we can do music, as I said before, it's just a gift. It really is. But when we lead worship, we're really leading relationships. We're leading people in the room hmm. to not just encounter Jesus in that moment, but to learn to encounter him in life as a way of life of worship. And what also blew my mind was that worship is not it's it's not about us. It's not an event. We, you know, I remember our uh, theological professor came in the room. This is and these are guys that are at Maranatha and Integrity. They came in the room. We're all sitting there. There's a bunch of thirty of us worship leaders, and he he just went, guys, gals, we got it all wrong, and we're like, what? And when he explained that for the number of years as us worship leaders or worshipers, the theory was we're seeking God, they flipped it around and said, no, God's seeking us. Mm. Just like God sought Adam in the garden, like how Jesus sought us on the cross and in the tomb. Where does that find us today? Where does God find us? And then how do we respond mm. to such an all-loving God? And so that is what broke the shell for me about what worship was, because worship is a response. Right. Worship is not intaking. It's not seeking God. It's responding to the one true God of who he is through, uh, we respond to God according to how God is revealed in scripture. Hmm. That's what worship is. By that, and then we have adoration, prayer, and however music fits into that whole gamut. And so leading worship that way, 
has changed my life forever. And then, you know, going through different churches, meeting with different pastors and uh, the many wonderful places that I got to serve, you know, that eventually led into other offshoots of what I'm doing now, like worship team training, which we do workshops across country and then worship team training university, which is the online version of it. And then a couple of other stints that I'm doing right now that we can talk about later. Yeah. And this podcast is called more than a worship leader. So I, I'm interviewing people that I really feel like exemplify that. And I would say you're easily one of those folks. And I'm, I'm, it's been really cool to see what God has done and then what he's continuing to do. And it's really cool because we have no idea what's ahead for you, but we see some, some glimmers of some, some things. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. So it's, and I love your heart. I love the fact that again, with the more than a worship leader, it's not just about music for you. It's about following Mm -hmm. Jesus, loving Jesus. And Hey, music is one of those ways that we do that. You've definitely logged some time as some as a worship leader. I'm sure in, (laughs) in those years, you've had a few embarrassing moments, maybe some crazy moments on stage. You uh, care to share one of those? Yeah. um, I was thinking about that. Um, when you asked me before the airing of the show and the one thing that stood out to me was one of the churches that I was helping with, that was a startup church. We were trying very hard to brand the new church and to brand the name of the church. And so the staff and I were, you know, the pastor, we were talking about the name of the church and remembering it. And then how do we greet? How do we open the service? That was a really big topic for us. And so I remember this was like, this is on, this is on the first day of the church opening the first day and we're all pumped up, ready to go. The music's about the downbeats about to happen and the church name, I won't name the church, but let's just say that for this time, it's called uh, cornerstone church. And instead of me saying, welcome to cornerstone church, I said, Hey, welcome everybody. so glad to have you here at Aberdeen Christian church. And it's like everyone, like the whole worship team busted out laughing. And then half of the congregation that were new, they were looking at me like, uh, are we in the right church or yeah. what? You know, <laughs> so, and, and the pastor laughed. I mean, it was it was really hysterical. And then I, of course, corrected myself and said, let me do that again, because if you're going to Aberdeen, that's the church down the street. But here at Cornerstone, and then I led right back into it. So, <laughs> Why did you name the other church? Is it something you had a connection you know, with? I, I, I think I think that's it. I just know the church from passing by it all the time. And I had a good friend that was there. And so I just kept thinking because he was an established church, you know, and this is a startup church. And so I'm like, uh, that wasn't the right appropriate placement of that greeting. That's funny. So oh my goodness. It was just, it was just, I'm, sh- I'm sure your pastor loved that. I got ribbed. Oh my gosh. I got ribbed so bad after the service. They kept saying, Hey, Brandon, how do you like Aberdeen Christian church? You know, said so the jokes kept going on and on and it never ended. So yeah, never live it down. Well, yeah. we all have our embarrassing moments. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. It's, it keeps it's, us, it's good me. keeps us humble, keeps our, yep. shrinks our head a little bit, but you know, the church for sure. has its own embarrassing moments pastors have their own embarrassing moments leaders have them and i would say in a, on a serious note one of the most embarrassing moments for the church that's really coming to fruition is this topic of spiritual abuse that's mm, been going right. on for a long time and it's a hot topic right now you're one of the voices out there talking about it so would you mind sharing your heart and maybe your history with spiritual abuse 
Yeah, sure. Um, spiritual abuse uh, is not, let me just say this really quickly, because it is a, what you say, people are using it as a buzz term. And the other term that people may know is church hurt. And let me just specify that those are not the same thing. Church hurt is something that's more on the level where, um, you know, you maybe you were offended or there was some gossip or talk behind your back, whatever. And you want to skip that church and go to something else because now you have church hurt. A lot of pastors call it that too, because it's a very digestible term. But when you say spiritual abuse, that really cuts more to the core. And the reason is because you have the word abuse in it. And most people don't handle abuse very well because abuse is such a real deal. And many people have gone through it, including myself, that we don't like the number one. It's hard for us to call things for what they really are. And when we see something that is damaging or that was traumatizing for us or still traumatizing, having to come to grips with that is very even traumatic within itself. And so spiritual abuse, there's there's many different definitions of it. And I'm not an expert by any means, but just within my experience and what I've learned about what spiritual abuse is, spiritual abuse is basically the power of manipulation through twisting scripture or uh, your relationship with God, spiritual ways, spiritual ploys to make a person, coerce a person to do what the leader wants, to serve the leader's needs. And that's really what it comes down to. Spiritual abuse is something that um, happens to Christians where they become, let's say, trapped within a, a spiritually abusive environment where people are measured, people are judged. Uh, it could, you could hear the, the sayings of others that would say things like, well, you need to measure up. You need to uh, be um, a, a good standing member of the family of God. Or if you want to have a spiritual breakthrough, or if it, other words and phrases you've heard along your life, like, well, if you, you just need to pray more, or you need to have more faith, or this is the way Christians act. All of those thoughts and sayings are, are basically just jargon from spiritually, spoken from spiritually abusive people. Spiritual abuse is not new because when you actually read through the Gospels, this is something that Jesus encountered daily, and it's by the famous Pharisees and Sadducees. If you really read through the Gospels and see how the Sadducees and Pharisees ridiculed Jesus on every miracle, every word that he spoke, every association that he had with others in, in life, there is always the um, abandoning there is of, of Jesus. There is the um, rejection. There is the, um, of course, the biggest ridicule of Jesus, right, is that he blasphemed God and he healed and forgave in God's name. And that's what that was the reason, the purpose of putting him on the cross. So, I mean, that is the ultimate deed, uh, a dagger of spiritual abuse, right? Mm. And so spiritual abuse also dates back to the Old Testament. It basically, and what I've learned is that spiritual abuse, it, because it is, we, we talk about the topic of abuse, abuse is pretty universal. It just depends on what kind and form of abuse it is and how it takes place. So no spiritual abuse is not the same as 
alcohol abuse or sexual abuse or drug abuse or emotional abuse, but they do have very similar traits. And the one thing that you will find and the commonality of it all is that it's abuse. Abuse is abuse no matter what circle you move it into. It just depends on how it was done and how the abuser had um, led their prey into that abusive relationship in which they've wreaked, caused damage and trauma to that other person. And the recipient of that abuse, it takes years and years and years to unwind and to heal and to undo all of that. Um, and some people never do. However, there are some that have survived it like myself. So um, spiritual abuse is getting back to that topic. The way the, the way the church looks at it, yeah, it's kind of a buzz term right now, but spiritual abuse is, is more than what meets the eye within churches. And it's something that I think every one of us in the church has had some form of a spiritual abuse, or even let's say the lighter version with this church hurt. Um, but it's a, it's a real and present danger. And so the question is, how do we as believers, if we've gone through those types of abuses, how do we still see the one true living God as according to who he is through scripture still? How do we still see Jesus as our savior and healer and not the twisted attempts of man? or the pride and power of the pastor, or the fake aspects and falsity of the religious leaders or elders? How do we base our relationship and worth on God alone and not other men and women? Hmm. So Brandon, would you mind sharing your history, what that was like, and and also how you were able to heal from that and and be redeemed from that? Well, thanks for that, Gary. Um, I will say that I'm still in a healing process and that's going to be lifelong. Mm. The damage that I incurred by other abusive leaders was something that actually began even before I led worship I, and I didn't know it. I ran to the church for safety and for help all the while to find out that the church just wanted to chew me up and, and try to fit me in their mold and to spit me out if I did not conform with that role. It became more brutal for me because my parents now were in the same kind of church. And so a lot of it was done at home where my mom and my dad would reinforce the fact of, well, you're not being a real good Christian. It's little words and little phrases like that that really work on you. At first they seem maybe innocent, but the more that you hear it, the more it's like a chipping away at, at a large piece of rock. And the more I'm no longer a good Christian or the more that I no longer walk holy and blameless according to God's word, then the less worthy I really am. And then how is that worth really determining God's eyes? And that's really hard to grapple at a young age. Um, so um, me being in junior high and high school going through that. And then when I get called in the worship leading, I thought, well, hey, this is great. You know, I can lead worship and maybe not deal with the rejection so much. Well, unfortunately, that rejection was still there. It just took on different bodies and faces and names and forms in which now I'm told, well, in order to be a good worship leader, now I need to do A, B, and C. And now I'm representing the church, and now I'm really representing the pastor. So there can't be mistakes on stage. I have to dress and look a certain way. My family has to play the part and look a certain way. 
And I don't have any identity of my own except for being at the church 24-7 because, after all, I am to model the pastor. I'm to model the church. I'm to brand the church. And that was that first situation that you asked me about, the most embarrassing church situation. Well, that was the biggest uh, abusive um, environment that my wife and I were in. And I think by me saying, hey, go to this and this church, because really deep down inside, Gary, I didn't want to belong at the church where I was. And I think that's kind of why, psyche-wise, in the back of my brain, subconsciously, that's why I made that faux pas and it came out outwardly. And so I remember going through this church experience, and this is what I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually writing about. And this is the platform, if you want to follow, the, the platform of social media and podcasts and also the book that I'm writing is called Confessions of a Worship Leader. And at first, when I started to write this book, which was back in 2013, I was getting asked to speak at different conferences about not spiritual abuse, we didn't call it that, but it was really about like burnout and how do you stay in ministry for the long haul and how do you stay strong. And so I did a lot of classes on that. But there was one particular instance where the um, the CEO of the uh, large conference organization said to me, hey, let's not call it burnt church burnout anymore. Brandon, can you think of something different? And at that point, I was already reading books about spiritual abuse. And I just said, well, why don't, you know, I don't want to use spiritual abuse because that may, people are not familiar with that term, but what about confessions of a worship leader? Because we had at that time, you know, the trend was confessions of a drama queen, confessions of this and this and that. And that that confessions of a worship leader just kind of stuck. And the CEO really liked it. And so I began doing classes on that. And the more classes I did, the more people came. And I remember one instant, uh, instance, I ran down the hallway. I, I was lost to this new conference I was at, didn't know where my room was. And lo and behold, I felt like 100 people were were crammed in this room and the line was out the door. And I walked by that class, like thinking, wow, that person's really got a good class going. I would like to join that. That looks pretty cool. And next door, I found the sign with my name on it and the lights were shut off and the sign said, sorry, this class has moved to the next room. And I thought, well, uh, well, where's the next room? You know, I'm already, I'm looking at my watch and then the people that were in the line uh, called out to me. They said, Hey, are you looking for the next uh, class? And I was like, well, yeah. And they said, well, what's your name? And I said, well, I'm Brandon. And they looked kind of stunned at me. And I'm like thinking, what? And they said, well, what class are you looking for? And I said, well, I'm looking for the Confessions of a Worship Leader. And they said, well, this is your class. And I was like, what? And they said, yeah. And they pointed at all the people. And they said, all these people are waiting here for you. They're waiting for you to speak. And when that was said, it was like this really weird God impression, Jesus speaking to my heart again, saying, Brandon, just follow me into this. I went into the class. I couldn't believe how many people, when I told my stories about my beginning church experiences all the way up to current date, about spiritual abuse and how the pastor's wife would try to leverage me for my job, how they would hire another worship leader or creative arts director to basically fire me and to grill me every Monday and to play triangulating meetings with me every week and to catch me my words to try to... Um, uh, if it's through email, if it's through spoken word, whatever that I said or done was going to be grilled that next Monday or grilled before that next Sunday or visitations by the elders of, hey, Brandon, we heard that you're sick. We just want to really make sure that you're sick and you're really not just skipping out on things. 
and just you know, like your children, Brandon, are not really playing the part. Your children are an embarrassment to the church. Things like that, words that were spoken to me, words spoken to my wife and in the spousal setting where the wife can't say anything. They're like the silent victim. And and it just, it pains me even today to even think about what we've went through. But as I'm telling these stories to this class, I'm telling you, Gary, there was not a dry eye, even my own. I was crying throughout my stories. And to see the many people who needed all that help, it just really impressed upon my heart of, wow, God, there are so many people hurting, so many ministers, worship leaders, and pastors that are hurting from other people's abusive styles of relationship and their attempts to uh, power over others and to make their lives miserable. And I remember that day, Gary, is when I said, you know what, Lord, I need... I hear you're calling me to write this book, and I'm going to write the book. Well, Gary, the book I'm writing is called Confessions of a Worship Leader. It began back in 2013, as I mentioned about the class, the classes that I was teaching. And that was the title of the class. It's become now a broader topic, which I find um, my own story within that book and my own spiritual abuse. But at first, I thought, if I write this book, maybe I'll just include quirky stories about the pastor, about the weird churches and church people. But then I, it, the more I got into it and the more that I've been healing and working through my own trauma of my own abuse, I realized that, you know what, um, I, I, I think I need to rewrite and, and really put more um, of my, less of my stories about what crazy mishaps happen. I mean, th- that's all well and good, but I don't want to come across like I'm poking front of the church. I don't want to, come across like uh, I don't want to be uh, revengeful because that's not what the book is about. And that's not who I'm, who I am about. And it's really about helping people that are in those abusive situations. So presently I'm rewriting that book. This is actually my second book. Uh, the first book I'm, I have just written is on my own story, my own um, abuse of what I've gone through, which that's for another topic, but the same publisher who wanted me to write the first book also is wanted me to write the second book because it's because like I said before, abuse is abuse no matter what environment you put it in. Uh, the environment will look different. And let me let me just specify this too for people who have been abused. I'm not saying that one abuse is the same to another because it's not. But what I am saying is that abuse is abuse no matter what kind of form it is. We've all been damaged by something somehow in some way. A topic for another day, but you also are um, getting ready to release a book called Facing the Shadows, where right. you are going to be really talking about your upbringing and the the abuse that you experienced growing up. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing mm-hmm. that. And I'm excited to see how that will impact others that are going through abuse. So Thanks, as, we, as we close off, I'm sure there are worship leaders, church leaders, people working in ministry that are listening to this that may be experiencing some some form of spiritual abuse what would be something that you could tell them maybe some um, main piece of wisdom or advice that you could give them where in their present situation sure um, and Gary thanks again for introducing this topic on your podcast because it is so needful for people to hear because it is a real situation it's it's real for people I would say there's three things number one you're not alone 
there are way more many people out there who have been abused and victimized, but just in different ways than you. But that doesn't take away what happened to you because what happened to you, the reason why it hurts is because it matters. What matters is your healing. Secondly, it's not your fault. Any abuse is not your fault. It's out of your control. You didn't see it coming. And no one wakes up one day saying, well, I just want to be abused one day. Or today is the day I want to step into a church and incur this kind of abuse by others. No one, walk, no one wakes up that way. And no one wants to have life that way. And basically, abuse is an intrusion. It's, it's an infiltration of evil. And we are, that's what makes the victim the victim and the abuser the abuser. So it's not your fault. And those are the words that were spoken to me that really freed me in my life because there was no sense of me trying to live my life out of shame or in fear or hiding it any longer because of some reason that I, you know, either I feel like I'm in love or rejected. Those things are not true. In fact, I'm more worthy in God's eyes. I, I find myself more um, identified with Christ through in a weird way to say it through my abuse, because that is what God not only saved me from, but what he's continuing to heal. And then thirdly is that, that that's the point right there. You can be healed. That's the reality of it. That's the great news of it is that you can be healed from your abuse. There is hope. God is real. Not just the same God that we talk about in Sunday school or try to brand our church as real, but when I see the wounds that Jesus took for me, not just on the cross, but the all the the abusive words and and um, the reactions of others that he came across, and how people rejected him, shamed him, isolated him, uh, betrayed him, misused him, abused him. All those things help me identify and realize that well, that's. That's the biggest reason why I know I'm not alone, because Jesus went through it before I did. And if others have gone through it too, then it doesn't make my abuse okay, but it does give me some identity and an understanding of awareness to know that I'm not alone and that truly I can be healed. And I say that to you today, that if you're stuck in this situation, no matter how deep or shallow the abuse may be in your church or your own abuse in general, you can heal. You can get out of it. And it really is about making a series of choices that will benefit your healing and that you do it, but you can't do it alone and you need to have help. So anyone listening that um, needs to have that help, you can DM me over at uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Dempsey, and that's at B-R-A-N-O-N-D-E-M-P-S-E-Y. Hit me up. And if, if it's not me, then reach out to one or two trusted friends that are outside of that spiritual abusive system in which you find that they are safe people that you can confide in because that's what helped me. And that begins the process is by talking about it. Thanks, Brandon. And thanks for sharing, but also thanks for pointing us to Christ, even through everything that you've gone through and through your healing. And, and that's that's being a worship leader right there, pointing to Jesus and, yes. and and saying, you know, what the scripture says, surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yes. And so that's why we Amen. respond. Like you said, we respond to that. We say, oh, what a savior. And that's that's right. 
that's that's, right. lead, that's leading worship. So thanks for leading worship, even right. as we talk today and pointing us to Jesus. And thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Gary. And thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Brandon. Like Brandon and I said, being more than a worship leader is about inspiring others to see Jesus and follow him. Spiritual abuse can definitely derail us from that calling if we're not careful, but it doesn't have to. Don't let unhealthy people in the church, even if they're in leadership, detract you from the calling on your life. Here's what I said in my book. Some of the criticism you will receive may be completely ridiculous. That's when it's important to consider the source. Don't let one church member cloud your view of all the good that God is doing through you. If your heart is right and you are truly wearing humility, remember you will not please everyone. Some church members spend too much time inspecting your actions rather than expecting God's actions. Humble yourself and listen, but don't let anyone steal your joy. As leaders, we will go through hardships, criticisms, and even abuse, but Jesus is bigger. Because of him, we can keep going and boldly claim his promise in John 16. We can take heart because Jesus has overcome this world. Stay tuned for the next episode of the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing and sharing. Thanks for listening.